What's up, Fight Fan? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Sunday, November 22nd, 2020. This week's episode, Giving Thanks to MMA in 2020. We'll be recapping last night's pay-per-view, UFC 255, Davison Figueredo, Valentina Shevchenko, and all the things that could be next for them. We'll be talking about a big week in MMA news, Tony Ferguson stepping in to face Charles Oliveira at UFC 256. We'll be talking about AJ McKee's performance against Darian Caldwell and getting to the finals of the Grand Prix. And we'll talk about Kayla Harrison's performance in Invicta, but more importantly, her conversation and what could be next going forward. And finally, we'll look ahead to this Saturday's main event, Curtis Blades against Derek Lewis. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez, and I am here with my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Hello, Double G. What an interesting turn of events from yesterday to today, would you say, in the world of MMA? You know what? I'll say this. I think in the last, like, three days, I've never gone from, like, okay, business as usual to, like, dude, I am so hype right now. Like, just uh, as a fan, I would be so excited as a person who works, I'm excited. I, I legit, they've booked and created such a, yeah, there's just so much to talk about. And, you know, I, I just love it. What about you? Yeah, man, it's, it's, it's so cool when stuff like that happens, when you get these, like, flurries of, like, really interesting, unexpected, exciting news. And you're like, what? This? What? When? And so, yeah, good time to be a it's it's like a pre early Christmas gift to get a lot of chatter in the MMA scene right now. Oh, oh, legit for sure. Um, let's get into it because we have a very stacked show. Um, and I want to get a time for everything. Uh, let's start with obviously last night's main event, Davis and Figueredo. Uh, just needed. I think it was about a minute to choke out uh, Alex Perez with a very beautiful guillotine. Um, what impressed me the most, Alex Perez looked game. It looked like we were about to have a scrap. He was taking the fight to Figueredo. Figueredo strong. It looked like he was trying to get his range going. But I just love the opening for Perez. He gets him down, which I thought, okay, you know, you want to see if he is as good at jiu-jitsu off of his back as he is when he's on top. And man, that adjustment for Figueredo gets the guillotine. Um... It looked like Perez would pop out of it, but you know what? Uh, Davison just had that grip. He wouldn't, you know, he would not take no for an answer, and gets the finish. I was, uh, I was just very impressed with his composure. I was very impressed with his, with his ability to recover. What about you? Yeah, man. He the, the the trick with him, I think, is that he just fears nobody in that division. He knows how like advanced his skill set is how fast he is how strong he is how much bigger he is than everyone i think rogan was saying let's weigh him he's probably at 155 right now and he sure looked it or 145 um but those transitions were slick like alex perez looked great on the feet you know he just he just looks like a classic uh mma fighter you know he moves well he does all the right things and figueredo just had just didn't have time for it he was like oh you're gonna do this okay let me just spin around here let me just sneak my little arm under here, bada bing, bada boom. That was kind of stunning. Like Dana White said it best, um, 
Davidson Figueroa, he's like, that kid is mean. Like, he's just, he's fearless and he's kind of mean. Not in a mean way, if that makes any sense. But when he's in there, it's just like, I, I don't have time for you. So I'm just going to try to finish you, dispatch you as quickly as possible. It was super impressive, dude. Like, I know Alex Perez is, is not an, a huge name, but he's a legit challenger, a, le- a legit opponent. So that was, uh, that guy's special. And, and I was thinking, like, you know, Mighty Mouse, Davison Figueredo, like, what would that have looked like? Will we ever get to see that? Probably not, but just for size alone, my money's kind of on Figueredo on that one. Uh, that's kind of taking us off to another, another, uh, another conversation but it, it definitely got me thinking bottom line is very impressive i think we're going to have a champion at 125 another long reigning champion at, at 125 i mean the disrespect toward the goat no, just, um, <laughs> come on man he I looked mean, great look it, it'd be fun you can't tell me that people aren't asking like hey dj if you were still there you you know I love it. I I really think that that would be a lot of fun. Um, him and DJ, him and Cejudo. Obviously, I think that's one that if like you know, Davidson could put a few of them together. But truth be told, I don't think uh, you know. I think the ship has sailed for quite a while on either of those guys. Anything ever happening? Um, before we talk about the future, because obviously we figured it out very quickly. Uh, did you see the controversy they're saying that Davison, you know, he, he held the fence and that helped him adjust the position and all that? So I, I didn't realize there was chatter about it, but I did notice it during the fight and I kind of, you know, shook my head at it because every little thing like that, those kind of tricks, advantages, they, they do make a difference. So that stinks. He doesn't need it. He's so big. Um, but, but yeah, I don't know. I guess I'd have to go back and watch it. I remember him grabbing the fence, but I feel like he did it at least two times. Yeah. Um, and I can't recall exactly where it where it helped him, but yeah. Um, let's not make this a habit, please, Davison. I want to enjoy you without controversy. That's yeah, all I'll yeah. say about that. But yeah, I wanted to bring it up. Um, you know what? Uh, I'll say this. He gets it done in, um, like I said, about a minute. Dana White gets to the post-fight press conference and he says, hey... Davison Figueredo is not going back to Brazil. We're keeping him in Vegas and we're about to turn him around in a couple weeks. And it was like, wait, what? And then, you know, everybody gets a hold of everybody. And as of this morning, at least verbally, uh, Brandon Moreno is in. By the way, great performance over Brandon Royval. Uh, I think that he just showed why he's such a savage on the ground in the um, on the undercard. But now, I mean, three weeks later... He's fighting the top contender. This is one of the quickest turnarounds I think we've ever seen for a champion. I believe statistically it's the fastest turnaround for both a champion and challenger. Like both of them are doing a three-week, you know, return. Uh, I mean, that's just gangster. I mean, that's like, you know what? You can wear your glasses. I know he's doing the glasses indoors thing. Um, you know what? You can wear them to sleep if you want when you're doing stuff like that, in my opinion. I I, I love it. I feel like that's a sign of um, a guy who's game, a guy who's excited to compete, a guy who's looking to strike while the iron is hot. Um, I will also point out, it's like, it's not like he's Conor McGregor that, uh, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. So, I think that when you consider where he's at in the pecking order in terms of the stars and what he could do, the fact that he's just game and he's not like, nah, you know, let's do this and that, 
I love it. What about you? Yeah, it's it's exactly what the division needs, kind of a badass, instead of someone who's who's not just, but who's, I'll just say, just really, really talented, but someone who can also have that swagger, that attitude. So that's, that's going to be fun. Um, yeah, when have you ever seen a champion put, essentially put, not put on ice, but, you know, told to, to lay low for three weeks and, and hang out here. We'll, uh, we'll have another fight for you. Now, this is just a sign of COVID times, right? Because um, I, I don't think that normally that would be necessary, but you want another championship fight. We're coming to the end of the year. So this guy's game, he, he hardly fought, <laughs> right? He hardly got hurt. Brandon Moreno had a busted lip, but he was, he was raring to go too. I like it. I like that both of them were game. And that the UFC was creative enough to see the opportunity, open-minded enough to see the opportunity, and to just make the call. Yeah, I, I like it. So everyone's saying they will be added to 256, which is three weeks from now. They're going to be most likely co-main to Pewter Jan and Aljamain Sterling. We will talk about, like I said at the top of the show, obviously uh, adding even more firepower. I'll say this. So I... If you think about 256, you know, we were talking about a triple header. We were most likely going to have Pewter and Aljo. We were going to have Amanda and Megan. We were going to have Kamaru and Gilbert Burns. And, you know, over the next several weeks, uh, you know, months, things just happened. We lost the welterweight title fight. We lost the featherweight title fight. Um, They're going to have Amanda Hibas. Amanda Hibas uh, and Carla Esparza wasn't going to be on it. And in the last few weeks, um, suddenly that one is turning into sneaky, one of the best cards of the year now also. I really love what they're doing. What about you? Yeah, man, it's crazy how that stuff sort of just works out to everyone's benefit, right? A card that was good turns into a card that could be great when it's all said and done as far as finalizing the, the, uh, the, the lineup. We'll see how everyone actually performs, but just coming into it it looks like it's going to be pretty awesome and not that long ago we were thinking oh man at least i was thinking like oh another 64.99 for a so-so pay-per-view oh boy okay so again props to the ufc man they're just they're just like running and gunning they're they're going yeah for sure um i want to ask you a quick thing before we uh, move on to valentina shevchenko and all that um i like that moreno is getting the next shot I think that that's uh, I think that just logistically puts a lot of ducks in a row, and I want to get your take on it because my opinion was when you look at the situation, I'm gonna break it from the top down. At bantamweight, you have Pewter Jan and Aljamain Sterling. Aljo had that great win over Corey Sanhagen, who obviously looked great against Marlon Moraes. But when I looked at it, I was like, okay. It looks like Corey is kind of locked in to facing TJ Dillashaw uh, next year. Um, Or, you know, Dominic Cruz, Frankie, one of these guys, right? I I would say for my money, just with the way these guys have been performing, and I think that's a testament to how people are, how the guys at the flyweight division are going. I know that Cody Garbrandt would have brought the most eyeballs. If you want to sell a pay-per-view, he makes the most sense. But I feel like you put Davison with one of the Brandons anyway. Cody, 
can still make noise at 135. And to be honest, I don't even think that's a big stretch of the imagination that he could get a title shot. You know, depending on where it falls with uh, Sanhagen and Dillashaw, possibly. So, to me, I always was going to say, um, give it to one of the Brandons anyway. I think that logistically, that just makes sense for everybody. Now, I'll give you another one. If Moreno's and Figueredo really does happen in three weeks, uh, and there's no hiccups with the medicals or anything like that, I mean, you could also, I guess, technically put Cody Garbrandt in there still 2021 for a flyweight title shot. But right now, looking at it, I would have said, you know what, you don't even need Cody Garbrandt in there just because you have options at flyweight. And I think that's a testament to how the division is looking. Yeah, excuse me. The division looks good. But I will say this. My first thought about Cody Garbrandt going to face Figueredo I was actually in favor of it, contrary to some of the other like-minded um, decisions the UFC has made, like with the 135 division when they had uh, Jose Aldo fighting for the bell, and I was like, this doesn't make any sense. He just he he lost his only previous you know fight at, at bantamweight. So um, normally I'd be kind of down on something like that, but in this instance I was excited because I feel like Figueroa is just such a you know. Yes, the division, the flyweight division is being, is looking really strong right now. But I still feel like Figueredo's a step above all those guys. So it would have been great to see someone like Cody Garbrandt, elite former champion from 135, come in and see how they how they uh, square off. But uh, Brandon Moreno is like 100% like un, undeniably likable, and he's also an excellent fighter. So I'm happy that he's getting the title shot. I hope that he didn't suffer any kind of damage that's going to still be lingering in three weeks because Figueredo will definitely be the fresher fighter from a damage perspective, you know, damage not taken. Mm -hmm. But the weight cut for him is no joke. So that's another interesting thing to think about. Who's going to have an easier time sitting in that, you know, in between weight phase and and having to recut weight? Who's it going to be harder for? Probably Figueredo because he's just the bigger dude. Yeah, I will also say that, um, you know, it's like, well, don't go crazy and do a lot of eating between now and then. And it's like, I would remind everybody, it's not like, like you said, they don't walk into the cage still very close to 125. You know, Figueredo, some guys, and mind you, some guys, it's physiology. Some of them, they just can get a lot more water and weight back in them in that 24-hour-ish span. Uh, there's a good chance Davison just like, hey, you know, you're not expecting to fight in three weeks. Let me rehydrate back to 145 plus pounds. Same thing for Brandon, possibly, around that uh, area. You know, that's that's a very real thing. And that's not a, I'll call it the lack of discipline or, oh, well, he just ate after the fight. It's like, no, there's a... There's a science to it. It's not just, uh, you know, oh, well, cut it all back, same process again, you know, you should still be light. Relatively speaking, but it is still a challenge, like you said. Uh, um, but yeah, I, I hear what you're saying about the Cody Garbrandt thing, and uh, I will, like, final note, uh, they did say, um, uh, Cody, I caught him at the end of his IG live, right, literally right after the main event, and he did say that Dana and them promised him the next title shot, when he had to say, when he told him he had to pull out of this one, so 
you know, let's see what happens there. But uh, yeah, that was just more food for thought. Um, Natalie, I'm assuming you're very excited to talk about the next one. Valentina Shevchenko, uh, five rounds with Jennifer Maya. No one saw that coming. Jennifer Maya makes it look like it may be one of the tougher fights for Valentina when she rebounds in that strong second round. Uh, the easiest one, the easiest way for me to break it down is I think that Jennifer Maya's physicality surprised everybody, myself included. I thought if she was going to provide challenges, she was going to be ripping body shots and just pushing forward for pressure. Instead, what we saw was that I think that Valentina really struggled to get a, you know, extended stretches of her offense going early because Jennifer Maya was so durable because she was so worried that when she sat down that Jennifer was going to push forward and get to the clinch where in the early going Jennifer Maya was just stronger so that really affected the rhythm of Shevchenko but I think that you really saw just you know that was a talented champion kicking it into the next gear it wasn't pretty but the fact is Shevchenko easily took four rounds to one uh, just gets her timing, gets her throws, gets those takedowns, maintains top position, stays busy enough to just, you know, keep scoring those points and keep taking rounds. Um, I was impressed with the durability of Maya. I've already said it enough times. She was not expected to even be close to title contention when she fought Jojo Calderwood a couple months ago. So very impressive, but I think that once again, you know, it may not always be pretty, but there's a reason Valentina is, you know, up there and talks to be the number one girl in MMA right now. Right. You know, what did I say last week? Oh, it's Valentina Shevchenko. What more is there to say? <laughs> well, there is more. There was more to say because Jennifer Maya was, was no joke. She came to play. Physicality, indeed. Very strong. You see the definition in her arms. She was the first person in that division that Valentina Shevchenko had to work, had to dig deep, you know, use all her tiny muscles to try and 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 take to the ground. It was an effort, but I'm actually glad um, because there could have been, might have been, was sort of one floating around there, an asterisk in Shevchenko's 125 championship run because the opponents were not as tough as they maybe were, had been, not, not, not maybe, they were just not as tough as they were at 135 for her, right? So it was looking a little easy. Um, and so I'm glad that there's someone who, who, who offered Shevchenko a chance to really dig, or, dig deeper, show some grit, show her uh, IQ, her fighting IQ, which, it, which you'll never, probably never get with Valentina Shevchenko is risk-taking. And so that kind of does make for some fights that are less uh, exciting than others. When you think Jessica I versus Liz Carmouche, right? Completely different fights, completely different uh, form styles of victory. So when Liz, when Valentina Shevchenko knows that there's multiple threats and that she can't just buzz right through you, then she takes her time. She sits back and she does what she needs to do, you know, sort of like, uh, paint by numbers. Okay, I need to keep you down for this amount of time probably and you know, inflict a, a small amount of damage, whatever damage I can, land a couple of shots <coughs> excuse me, on the feet, take you back down, that kind of stuff. So she's very calculated with it, doesn't make for the most exciting 
fights, this one was okay because there was that second round, something we haven't seen yet. Someone beat or took a round from Valentina Shevchenko. So all in all, I'm glad she won. It was a fine performance. It it shows her that, hey, this division is coming alive here. And uh, Jennifer Maya did a, had a good showing. And so I kind of thought well, when I was watching the second round, I was like, oh, man, this could be one of those like rematch fights. Like, you know, depending on how it goes, even if Shevchenko wins, it could get exciting and we could see another one. But it ended up being not that thrilling. However, Jennifer Maya, when she re- regroups, I bet she'll have more answers for Shevchenko and the same for, for Valentina. Yeah, um, is it going to go down in the history of great classic championship fights? Uh, probably not, but, you know, the fact is uh, you saw the, um, I guess, the ability to recoup from a talented champion, like I said, in Valentina, which was very good. And look, Jennifer Maya, uh, she's going to have, you know, suddenly she's in the in the conversation. She's in the dance, and I think that um, she becomes a very relevant player at 125 which she just uh, a lot of people weren't expecting a lot of people you know if Valentina just handles business like the odds makers thought she would quickly you're talking about Jennifer Maya probably you know taking a big step down again after this fight though you gotta think that the um, Chukagians the Cynthia Calvillos of the division suddenly she's in talks about those kinds of opponents now Whereas I think that had it gone differently, she probably wouldn't be. So um, I think that says a lot about the performance of Jennifer Maya. And um, but once again, Valentina gets the job done. Uh, it kind of like um, I'd said before, it looks like everything is lining up to set up a fight between her and Jessica Andrade. Jessica Andrade obviously looked great in October against Caitlin Shukagian. Um I'll say this because now we have an interesting situation. I don't see a, a, a scenario where they're going to give the fight to Lauren Murphy unless there's a, uh, you know, reason for injury. So, you know, someone tests positive, something like that. So I do believe that we're going to be locked in for a Shevchenko Andrade fight. My thing now is the timetable for everything after that. And Valentina, I don't know if you saw the press conference, said it herself. Usually, you'd put Andrade and Lauren Murphy to fight. But she said, I don't know if I want to wait that long for them to get booked, them to fight, and then I fight them weeks, maybe a little couple months after. She wants to stay active. So if you put Valentina Andrade, let's say sometime... Uh, March being the latest. I think that's probably a fair timetable. I think she might get added to February personally, but that's just me. Um, Let's say they do that. What we now have is, okay, if you were to put, let's say, Lauren Murphy with Caitlin Chukagian, well, by that time, would we have Wei Li Zhang versus Rose Namajunas? Would Wei Li be ready to move up? Because if so, you have Lauren Murphy or Kate... Uh, I'm going to say Lauren Murphy for the sake of our scenario. How long is Lauren Murphy waiting for her title shot? Because now she's got to wait for the champ-champ fight. And I just want your thoughts on this scenario. I would like... Look, I'm not like a huge Lauren Murphy fan or non-fan. You know, she's just 
I like her, and and she's a good fighter. But she's she's on the how do I say? It? Like she's a little bit older. We'll just cut to the chase, right? So there's not that much time for her to wait around for her title shot. So I think it would be nice if they could just get her right in there. Um, Andrade, even though when she made her debut with Chukagian, I felt like okay, we both talked about it. That that that's like the obvious big name choice to face Shevchenko next, unless this super fight comes together more quickly, which I don't think it will. But now I'm kind of taking that back. I think Andrade still needed the division. Give her another fight. Yes, correct. She would have fought Lauren Murphy, but if you're going to push either one of them up to fight Shevchenko soon because Shevchenko wants to keep going, the nice thing to do, which, you know, why would the UFC do that? But the nice thing to do was to give Lauren Murphy a chance. She's been in the division longer. She's been in the UFC. Uh, she's been in the division longer. She's doing well in that, in that, cl- in that class. Give her the shot. Um, does that make more money than Jessica Andrade? No, former champ versus a current champ. So that that's the money fight to make, I think. And like, yeah, let's do it right away. But the nice guy in me wants to give it to Lauren Murphy first because otherwise she's just going to be waiting around. And if what they they put her against Jennifer Maya, who knows what's going to happen there? So that's me being a softy. But I would like to see it go to a to Lauren Murphy. Yeah. I mean, I got to cut to the chase, too. Dana White was all in on Andrade in the yeah, press yeah. conference. It was, I just don't see it happening for Lauren, which, um, uh, which by the way, is very unfortunate for a fighter whose nickname is Lucky. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I I hear what you're saying on Lauren Murphy's age, and Caitlin Chikagian's a tough fight. I do feel like they'll put Lauren Murphy with Caitlin just to, like, okay, you're... Like, look, you can sit and wait, but things may happen. Let's say Jojo Calderwood were to get back in there and get some wins. But the fact is, uh, Lauren Murphy most likely has to take on another fight. The one thing to benefit Lauren is that you do that, you solidify number one contender status. Secondly, if Valentina stays healthy and everything else, remember that she likes to stay active. So let's say she were to fight a Jessica Andrade. Remember, they which one was it that happened? Like, she was booked very quickly from Jessica I to Liz Carmouche last year, remember? Yeah. So this isn't a uh, shocking thing, if I'm being honest. So what I would say is that Lauren Murphy fight Caitlin Chukagian. Hopefully uh, everything goes well there. Uh, by the way, weird situation if Caitlyn beats Lauren. They have fought before uh, before Lauren went on tough and all that. So in her early days, at, I think 135, um, you would have just that situation where like, well, now you really need the champ champ fight because we've already seen the Caitlyn fight rather recently. But I think that that could work because with Wei Li Zhang, I just... Look, I don't know if it's travel. I don't know what it is exactly. We haven't heard her talk about it much, but she just seems to be a tough fighter to get a quick turnaround for so far since she's been champion. So I think that that's just where we'd be at personally. Yeah, I mean, wait and see, but I'm excited that Shevchenko's back in it and ready to start rolling again because that's what we like to see. That's what she likes to do. And, um, you know... Feed, feed the Shevchenko machine. 
I hear you. Um, you know what? Uh, just a um, final note. Great performance by Caitlin Shkagian. Once again, that's a tough fight for Lauren Murphy if they do make it. Uh, just everything. Antonina looked good. Paul Craig looked good. Um, we could talk about the prelims all day. Uh, um, just a lot of good stuff. A lot of good performances for people. So I know that on paper it flew under the radar. Look, it, it was we were coming off a great run of main events, right? With big names and established champs. This one, you know what? I think the undercard really bolstered it. You know, you're not getting Conor McGregor, I'll admit that. But you got a very good, very well matched up lineup of fights, I think, at the end of the night. So if you're tuning in just for the fun, you probably got it. So a good night of MMA for everybody. It capped off a very, very busy week. Uh, we'll talk about Bellator in a second. But um, Natalie, I think the big news, if I'm not mistaken, it broke on Friday. Tony Ferguson will be coming back in less than three weeks from now officially to take on top contender Charles Oliveira. They tried to make the fight with Michael Chandler. Looks like Michael Chandler declined and Tony Ferguson was like, no, I fight when I want to fight. I don't want to do the Abu Dhabi thing in January. I want December. I'm ready. And you know what? Charles Dobronx stepped up. Um, all I can say is, similar to Figueredo, that's gangster. I love it. Charles is on a great win streak. This has all the potential for a fun fight. They're both very multifaceted. They both have a lot of weapons and offensive firepower between them. I love it. What about you? Yeah, there's no way not to, to be super fired up for this for this matchup. Tony Ferguson, like, we... <sighs> You know, we want to see him back. We want to see him fighting well. But it's hard to forget, man, the beating that he took against Justin Gaethje. You know, those moments right before the fight was called off, I truly, truly saw it to me as his brain just kind of like, you know, raising the white flag saying, we can't do this anymore. Like he was like, you know, shaking his head. It was like a little bit like a short circuit. So very worrisome. Of course, the next day he's dancing with his IV pole. But still, those were some heavy shots that he took. So May seems like a long time ago, but I don't know if it's enough time to recover from that kind of punishment that he took. Nonetheless, Tony Ferguson is a, is a special kind of fighter, a special human being. He's he recovers more quickly from things we've seen him, you know, than, than most fighters. We've seen it with the with the leg leg injury that that uh, took him out of one of one of the many scheduled Khabib fights. So. The, so that being said, yes, I'm concerned about that, but then I have to remember Tony Ferguson is a different kind of creature. So hopefully he's really ready, re- recovered, ready to go. This is an excellent, excellent matchup. Charles Oliveira has been killing it. I mean, you go look on Tapology and you got to scroll down a little bit before you see that red pop up. You know, there's just a bunch of green Ws. So, so that's always impressive to see. Would I like to see Michael Chandler? That would have been awesome. Um, I'm wondering, I guess because he just did that weight cut, maybe he wanted a little more time to recover. Why do you think he didn't take the fight? I mean, just just plain old, plain old too soon? Oh, yeah. I, I think that that has to be it. Um, I remember distinctly in Bellator, he talked about it. You'll never see me take a short notice fight because he is a bit, I mean, he does, he's not very tall. You know, he's right. not one of the taller guys like Charles. 
Um, but he is a just very, you know, broad shouldered, you know, he's just a very stocky guy. He is very, you know, so he said, I need to do a lot of work to make 155. And I think that that's just very bluntly it. He didn't feel like, hey, um, I wasn't planning on fighting this soon, so I'm not quite in my target range to start making that serious cut. And I think that that was just it. And I think he also liked the idea of, hey, you know, we create the scenario where if Habib isn't coming back, then if we're co-main with Connor and Dustin, suddenly it's easy to sell that fight, If you know, because all the ducks are lined up on Fight Island and we're their co-main event. So I think that's why they he could still fight on Fight Island. He could still be co-main to Chandler, sorry, to... Uh, Connor and Dustin, I think uh, Justin Gaethje suddenly stands out a lot. I would love that fight also. Um, uh, I know that uh, Dan Hooker's been thrown around as a possible option, so I would have liked the Tony Ferguson fight, but to be honest, I personally stylistic, stylistically feel like Justin Gaethje, Michael Chandler, creates the better options for everybody because now you got Charles Dobronx in the game. Uh, Justin Gaethje gets back in the game. We already got Connor and Dustin. All our major players are now involved in fights. I'm here for it. I think yeah, that it's just a blessing in disguise kind of thing. That's a, a lightweight bonanza right there. <laughs> December, January. Um, I would have liked Michael Chandler to fight Dan Hooker just because, uh, you know, like, okay, these are all elite. This is a killer top 10 division. But I, I think it's fair to say there's there's still a level, at least one level of difference, maybe even more, between Justin Gaethje and Dan Hooker. So for Michael Chandler, I think I would not at all call it a tune-up fight to get to, to fight Dan Hooker. But for your debut, maybe, you know, maybe Dan Hooker makes a little more sense than like the guy who just fought for the belt. Now, of course, Michael Chandler was the backup for the for the actual championship fight. But this is different circumstances. So um, I think I like the Dan Hooker fight better, but of course, Justin Gaethje, Michael Chandler, there's going to be some bombs being thrown for sure. Yeah, I think the fact that um, they have a lot of stock in Michael Chandler is the thing I keep coming back to. And um, similar to Eddie Alvarez, I think when they got Eddie from Bellator in a similar situation, he was just... Um, immediately against the top contender who's exciting and you're talking about a possible title contention with the victories so i think that that's just what they see for michael chandler it's um he's a short-term project you know he he's gonna get some big fights in or he's gonna become a champion quick and i think that that's just it there's no uh gonna be a long building process for michael chandler at the end of the day in my opinion if you ask me so yeah that's going to be what we see. Um, real quick, some other stuff. Um, uh, Connor Dustin Poirier is signed official for January. Um, did you think that there was ever going to be a situation where something happens? Because they said Connor McGregor's paperwork was last to be filed, right? But, you know, people thought, well, are they going to try to post something? Maybe get Tony in there. Maybe get Gaethje in there. Did you ever think anything like that would happen? I actually did not have any doubts that this fight would 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 come to uh come to pass come to be booked. Um, I felt like 
so confident was I that I never even worried about it not happening on January, whatever, 23rd, whatever it is. Um, I was just, I just took it as a given once they both agreed to fight each other for that um, charity, uh, you know, sparring session. When they both did that, I, I just knew it was going to happen, you know, officially or unofficially um, for us to watch. Yeah, I, I feel like had we had it gone maybe two more weeks and we're still not here and that it's finalized, then I would have been like, <clears throat> uh, guys, we're getting a little close now, you know, that, that I would have, um, that would have been cause for concern. But yeah, I, I think that it was in good time that I wasn't too stressed yet, but Dustin Poirier, and I guess rightfully so, his contract and all that was signed pretty quickly, so. I think that says a lot right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, final note on the lightweight division, and we can move on to some other stuff. Uh, Habib Nurmagomedov came out and said, I know Dana White is talking. I know this is happening, but I'm done. There's always going to be rumors about me coming back because that's what promoters do. But in my heart, I'm fulfilled. By the way, he's talking about he's got a farm. He's starting some business. Uh, I know he's not getting a lot of press for it here on the English websites, but he's kind of taken off and doing his own thing since um, since his fight with Justin Gaethje just last month. So I guess just what are your thoughts on how that's played out? Um, I'll be honest, listening to him talk, I got the feeling that he was taking advantage of the fact that um, he knew a lot of eyes were watching him. And so he wanted to get the message out there like, yes, I do know what Dana's saying. I am getting tagged and asked about it, but no, I'm legit done. Um, he's just doing the promoted thing. Those talks are not real. Yeah, I mean, when he retired in the ring, I, I 100% believed him. Like, he said, my mom doesn't want me to fight anymore <laughs> without my dad, and so I'm done. Seemed pretty legit to me. So I was surprised when Dana White came out right away saying, oh, no, I... I talked to him and he's, you know, that was just in the moment. I was like, really? He doesn't seem like the kind of guy to do that. So I didn't really believe it. I'm actually glad Khabib came out and said, no, I'm really done. But I was curious what his other, um, you know, what his future would hold as far as not fighting in MMA. So kind of cool to hear that he has a farm. And do you know anything about what other businesses he's going to, you know, get into? I'm just so curious. <laughs> I'll be honest, I, sh I know I read it, and now it we're shooting the show very early. It's completely blanking on me. <laughs> I want to say he got involved in, like, some digital company or something. Nope. Possibly. I can't remember, though. But, yeah, he did, you know, it's not all just him in the quiet life in Dagestan. He also is, you know, I, like, he's in a boardroom somewhere, too. Does that make sense? You think he wears the hat? No. Nah. <laughs> maybe, maybe casual Fridays. Okay. <laughs> Um, you know what? Uh, I'll say this. You know, Dana said he's going to meet with him soon. I would assume that Dana wants those talks to be like, well, I was going to get you George St. Pierre. And instead, Habib is going to be like, no, I think we need to talk about who you want to put the interim title on, Dana. And that's just the end of it. So, yeah, I think that that's most likely what we're going to see happen. But, Do you um, think that's because I, you know, we got real excited over this January Poirier McGregor fight being 
the the vacant for the bake vacant lightweight. Mm-hmm. Like why, you know, what do you think they're going to do it at this point? Like it just makes perfect sense to do it. Why wouldn't they? I they're already fighting five rounds, so really the idea of oh, let's put the belt on them for any reason is not difficult. If I were to take a guess, I think that Dana is still holding out hope because the fact is Habib beat both Dustin and Connor pretty well. So I think the idea of, oh, naming either of them champion, you don't want that situation because it's like, you know, compared to when George St. Pierre left and then Robbie Lawler and Johnny Hendricks, this time the champion who left decisively beat both of them. So even though Conor McGregor's a big deal and a lot of people like Poirier, it's hard to get that traction going because you feel like you're getting the second best product that they're selling to you as the number one thing. Now, look, that's just kind of the nature of the business when you have the situation, but I'm pretty sure that Dana would prefer a situation where he can sell the next lightweight champion as the best lightweight in the world. You just can't do that without Habib. So I think that that's why it's they're hesitant to start that because that starts a long-term chain reaction that's hard to recover from and build from. Does that make sense? It makes sense, but then, I mean, you got to put two dudes together eventually and pretty much everyone but Tony Ferguson has has lost to him. So, like, no matter what you do... It's going to be two dudes that couldn't be Khabib, except, you know, you got Michael Chandler, I guess. I think on a personal level, he feels he can convince Habib to come back. Okay, okay. That's all I could think of is on a personal level, he really thinks that he can get him back for one more for the business. That's all I can come up with because I completely get what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, man. We'll find out soon, won't we? Yeah, we Anyway, will. let's talk about uh, some Bellator stuff, huh? AJ yeah. McKee with that uh, the neck crank from the guard. Darian Caldwell gets him down quick. And AJ McKee, you know what? Similar to Figueredo, you were up against a tough guy who looked game, got the position he wanted. And McKee just showing some very... This is now the second time in recent you know fights. Just nasty submission game off of his back. And I'll say this. I always say... A lot of people are great when they're on top of you with their jiu-jitsu. It is a very, very, very small number of guys who are elite level in MMA when they're on their back. And McKee is slowly showing that he could be one of those guys. Um, I was just very impressed. What were your thoughts? Dude, he's so confident. And like, I'm going to say a bad word, but was he talking shit to, to Caldwell in his ear as he was like trying to trying to figure out the, the, the submission to the hold? You know what? I'm not sure. I'd have to watch it back. I only watched it about once, twice, just yeah. with the commentary. I wasn't paying attention. He... I could just see his lips moving. I was like, what is he doing? <laughs> He's probably telling him, oh, I'm about to put you in a, in a hold. You never heard of it. Like, what, you, yeah, you, like you didn't think I got was? this? I think they said that. It was like, what? Where did that come from? Like the way... Clearly, I don't know enough about jujitsu because I was like the way he was positioned underneath. All of a sudden, he just hooked an arm and and the and the neck and slumped the arm in. It, it definitely caught me uh, by surprise. Obviously, caught caught a little by surprise. I mean, what a what a what an amazing quick quick finish! Like, did they, did he even eat a punch? Like, super fast dude. AJ McKee's on fire. He has so much confidence. 
I'm glad that we're going to get to see the fight, you know, that the culmination of this tournament will give us the fight we all wanted to see when this started. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, <laughs> sitting around and, and, and ripping pages off the calendar until we get there. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that this now really favors McKee to just obviously take care of your body and get ready, keep working on your game, which I think for a young guy, you can't understate how important that is. Uh, after that one, you know, it's a weird thing because when you look at the tournament, he'll have gone to the final, obviously possibly the big one, right? We all know what the fight to make is uh, with the Pitbull but he'll have gone through the tournament without fighting a lot of those more recent title challengers, right? But I'll just say it, you know, I'm watching him and it feels like he's kind of reaching, you know, like the loading bar is almost at 100%, right? He is about to be that kid, right? That guy right there. I think that, and we've seen so many of them over the last decade, he is the most talented prospect since John Jones. If you remember John and he's just lighting people up, he's suplexing Stefan Bonner and he's doing all this crazy stuff and he's so unorthodox and he's so complete and he's so physically gifted. I feel like AJ McKee is right there. And look, the difference between him and a lot of the guys and girls we've seen since then is that AJ McKee has maintained it. I know he has gotten a lot of developmental fights, you know, in terms of building himself up to that. I believe he's now 17-0. Um, and, and yes, that's true. But I think that when you look at it compared to the Rory McDonald's and other people like that, is that, you know what, this this kid has really, you know, gotten himself to that level that if he beats the Pitbull... You know, I don't think you can understate that this is very likely one of the best featherweight talents in the whole world, not just uh, Bellator. Like, you put him in UFC, if he beats Pitbull, I would go as far to say you put him in UFC, he's probably doing damage on our current top three or top four also. He is that good. And so I'm very excited about him. And I'll say it now, the fight with Pitbull, if it happens, it would probably be the biggest homegrown Bellator fight so the biggest fight that didn't involve a free agent from the UFC or someone like Fedor that was established somewhere else these are two guys who have become who they are with their status completely being in Bellator and I would love that because I think that that just is a sign of you know great growth for the promotion and just proof that hey there is great talent out there so that would be the biggest fight for me for them in that way since Eddie Alvarez, Michael Chandler, like, years ago. And I think that's saying something. For sure, man. Bellator is so good at, at building up their their fighters, their, you know, their homegrown fighters. It's almost like baseball, like like the Dodger farm system, you know, the Dodgers farm system, where they just, they, they, they match him up perfectly to help him grow, you know, A.J. McKee, to help him develop, develop. And, like, so his record is really big, but it's, it's, um, a lot of that was him just honing his skills, and and now you know obviously he's he's fighting the real the real guys. But um, it's just really cool to see how they how they um, develop him and uh, well Chandler obviously and Eddie Alvarez. I mean you look those are pretty amazing names to say that they came at least partially through the Bellator developmental system. 
but AJ McKee, man, he is really special. And uh, who knows if we'll ever see him fight in the UFC, but it's impossible not to have that conversation. What would it look like if he were there? So um, we'll have to get through Pitbull first, but and I don't know what his contract looks like, but that that's something to, to think about and get excited about for the future for him. Oh, yeah, I'm with you there. And yeah, we'll talk about it. You know, the, as the conversation starts to come up, I'm sure we'll get a uh, we'll revisit AJ McKee and obviously the end of the tournament. By the way, only one Bellator event left for the year after everything. They got busy and I was like, wait, that's it? Oh, my. You know, we kind of got there pretty quick, all things considering. So I like that the run that they've been on, they essentially loaded it with all their big fights and called it macaroni for 2020. So <laughs> I liked it in that way. Um, final note, I wanted us to touch on that, uh, touch on this. Uh, Kayla Harrison successful 145 pound debut uh not necessarily unexpected she got her down and just kind of uh did work with elbows and ground and pound it was one of the bloodier women's fights that we've seen in a long time so um yeah just very good performance for kayla harrison but as i'm sure you figured out by now natalie i did speak with kayla <laughs> And we had a great conversation, but there were a couple of notable things that really stood out to me, not the least of which um, she's kind of said it very bluntly. I'm going to most likely fight twice. So at least one more time. I think she said she would if she can, she'd like three, but at least two. So one more before the PFL comes back next April, May. And she kind of said to me very bluntly, I'm looking to fulfill my PFL contract. And then I want to go look at what's best for me. Everything about her tone and body language made me feel like she's looking to try to collect another mill. And pro and I think that that's it. She's out of uh, PFL. And I just wanted uh, your take. First, if you want to say anything about the fight, but then obviously your thoughts on how she was talking and what she was saying. Yeah, the fight first, of course. Oh my God, so much blood. I always think like, oh, it must smell. <laughs> it must smell so irony. Um, that must be hard not to be grossed out by. But I mean, they're fighters; they're used to it. But it just kept pouring out of this lady's um. Look, it was like in between her eyebrows, right? It was like <laughs> just like huge of a uh, Courtney Kane's uh no Courtney King's eye um brow. Oh my God, it was just puddling, and like Kayla Harrison was getting all over her legs and everything. Okay, impressive performance, though. And I, I'm so happy for Kayla Harrison to have been able to get back into the cage to fight, even though she had to do the weight cut, which she was very honest with you about. You know, doesn't like to cut weight, doesn't think it's healthy, but she needed to fight. I like the way she put it. I'm in the Kayla Harrison business, and that's it, basically. Like, it's not about, mm, well, you know, she's going to fulfill her contracts, but she needs to fight. She wants to fight four times a year. She's not getting any younger. Like the, the the women's divisions are only getting stronger. She's still growing her game. She wants to get after it. I think the PFL mega mega dropped the ball here with their strategy, their decision to not have any fights this year. It's can you can only imagine how frustrating it's, it was for Kayla Harrison and other fighters of the PFL to see the UFC coming back, to see Bellator coming back, all the other promotions coming back, and they're their promotions like, nah, we're not going to do anything. Just wait till next April. What? Are you kidding me? She's too special to wait. I'm glad that her manager and that the Invicta and PFL was willing to play ball and that they got her back in the cage. 
But I think they burned a bridge with her. I think they left a bad taste in her mouth. And she might have been happy, very happy to play out the rest of her MMA career, or at least a longer portion of it with PFL. I think she's done now. I would suspect she feels like they don't have her, her back. Um, I was wondering, I saw your interview, it was a great interview. I was wondering too, though, like how, like uh, how long she had been asking to fight somewhere else. Uh, and if the PFL was, was digging their heels or, you know, who, what, what really happened and, and why did it take so darn long for her to finally get in the cage, even for some, with another promotion. So I don't know if you got any sense of if the PFL was just trying to keep her on ice and hoping <clears throat> she'd be satisfied with the paycheck um, or, or how that went down. I don't. And that's actually a great question because the impression I got is that after the I mean, I'll, I'll say infamous uh, interview with Brett Okamoto. I think that she really was like, she kept it off social media. You'd notice she didn't retweet or she didn't really post anything anymore. Like, look at uh, Brendan Lofton. I feel like every day, every other day, he's posting like, oh, there's fights going on. Oh, you need a short notice opponent. And he's like, like, I'm here, guys. Put me the, you know, explicitive in already. Mm -hmm. um kayla harrison didn't do that but i got the impression that hey i've been asking to fight and that this was probably something that they were pushing um through the more legal channels of her contract and with her manager i i get the impression i i think you hit it spot on it feels like they burned a bridge and i think this says a lot possibly about the um the longevity of pfl like do they feel like hey we just don't have it so I don't know. I think that says a lot because being able to earn a million and be the face of a promotion is a big deal. So it has to be, you know, she has to know something we don't. But uh, I think that, yeah, you you hit it spot on. She's in it to win the fights, not make the money. And if she feels like going to Bellator, the UFC is better in that way over what they're doing in PFL for a however you know, for whatever they're doing in the near future. And then I guess, that you know, she's been very upfront about it. But uh, Natalie, I want to bring this up real quick. You now have a situation. Let's say she leaves. So you're saying that uh, Kayla Harrison would go to Bellator, which I think that um I, I brought it up with her. Deeper roster, big fight with Cyborg. um Just longevity feels like it's there. Or you're saying she would come to the UFC which as of today, this morning, only has four featherweights, one being a double champ who prefers to spend time at Bantamweight by her own admission, one who has only got one pro fight, and then two established girls with Megan Anderson and Felicia Spencer. Um, I don't know. I mean, we've had this talk, and I'm not going to have a long one because I know we're at the end of the show, but I don't see a long-term featherweight division in UFC as of right now for you. I don't see it sticking around a year just because Kayla Harrison may possibly come over. So I don't know what we might see. But I will say right now that I just, um, if you're Kayla Harrison, you know, uh, I, I think once again, you have to really say it. She's in it for the fights, not the money. And if that's true, she may, we may see her in Bellator in 2022, in my opinion. I agree, um, and I agree that Bellator is where uh, is the perfect home for her. 
But here's the problem I can't shake, right? Is that she was pretty adamant with you about not liking to cut weight. I don't, they're not going to make a 155 division. PFL was the only, only promotion willing to do that. They built that around her. And, you know, it took them a while to build it. Uh, maybe, maybe they just wanted to give her fights too. I'm trying to think because in the, the first season, she was not a part of it, right? She had, I think, three fights, but they were just side, uh, side fights, I meaning not part of the, the season. Um, but, to me, it seemed like they put a lot of money in her. They wanted to build her up. They, they gave her a great sales pitch. You will be the queen of this division. We're going to give you, you know, whatever you want. Burn that bridge, drop that ball. So now what? She's going to have to either figure out a way to make her peace with PFL or get comfortable with living that life that she's not really into, which is that she, I think she said it was like miserable or people have some people that eat the way you have to eat for her to stay at 145. What did she say? There's something wrong with their, with their heads <laughs> mentally. There's something wrong. Um, do you really think that she'll be willing to, to live that 145 pound life? Ironic, if, if, ironically, yeah. I think that if she had the resources of the UFC PI and the way they do things, she might be more open to it. Okay. We've heard them work wonders about that with people, right? Uh, yeah. All the time. I Once again, though, how much faith do you have in 145? Honestly, like, let me ask any fans. Do you really think that they're keeping it around for three girls? Or is it going to be, uh, you know, whenever... I mean, they're not going to do one-offs. They're not going to do one-fight deals for Kayla Harrison. So... This is why it was such a tough blow that they lose the Megan Anderson Amanda Nunes fight. Who, by the way, um, they say it was serious health issues for Amanda Nunes. I hope she's okay. Oh. Um, but uh, yeah, I I just don't have, by I still don't have faith in that featherweight division. Look at it and tell me you do. It's such a weird thing that. I don't see them keeping it at this point because really, okay, Kayla Harrison comes in. Um, in a year from now, oh, we'll fight Amanda Nunes. Then what? Yep. No, really. Then what? Like, uh, you almost feel like if this was true, you would have done it by now. If that changes between you know now and 2022, I will change my stance completely. However, they have had a lot of time to do that, and they haven't. Right, and they haven't. I mean, when she beat when Nunes beat Spencer. Dana White said, oh, we're gonna, I'm so excited. We're going to build a division around her. And then the reporters media was like, oh, well, she just said she might retire. What? And then she had her baby. And so, and now apparently she's very, you know, had a serious medical issue. So, And she said it. She prefers 135. That's her optimal weight. Yeah. So I think the UFC should, should have a serious conversation with her when she's ready and say, like, look, do you really want to keep doing this back and forth thing? Like, you are the double champ. You won. You beat Cyborg. Like, no one's going to take that away from you. Your legacy is intact. There's nobody left here. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's send, let's find a way. This is me, you know, pie in the sky. Let's find a way to um, to get Felicia Spencer and Megan Anderson over to Bellator. Or, you know, if they just close the division, then they can, Megan and, and Felicia can make their way to Bellator on their own. Because that would be great to continue to build that division that already is rich. And then you can put Kayla, I mean, she could already go to 145 at Bellator. Apart from the weight cutting issue, um, there's definitely uh, a lot for her to do there. But, like, 
keeping Megan Anderson and Felicia Spencer at the UFC in the UFC, they're just on ice. It's just like this weird triumvirate with Nunez and Spencer and and Anderson, right? So I think they should at this point shutter the division, let Anderson Spencer make their way to Bellator, and um, Kayla Harrison. Well, she has some serious decisions to make. Make peace with PFL. Not to say that there isn't, you know, they're like at odds with each other, but you know, either get comfortable with staying there and and make her millions every season, or if she really wants to fight more often and is a little bit bitter that she wasn't allowed to do that this year, go to Bellator and, like, there's there's meat there in that division. There's things to do, for sure. I mean, I, I think the big thing for me is, and I always hate to say it because I know that the shine and the just the status you get when you get those UFC victories and what it does for your career is so big. And I want that for all the fighters who deserve it and who, you know, want to get that validation, right? I think a lot of great fighters, like several in Bellator, you know, that validation of getting that UFC success is so big and it's a recognition as well of their talents because of the way our business is set up. It's, you know, I want that for them, but at the same time, like you brought it up, the quickest way to get fighters get paid when they fight. Yes, there's sponsors and all that, but you ask every fighter who's not Conor McGregor, you make your big paycheck when you go out there and you fight. You get paid more by your sponsors when you fight because you're more in the media and, you know, you're doing interviews with a million viewers wearing uh, the sponsor's t-shirt and all that. All of that is very true and real and all that stuff, right? So for me... The quickest way for Megan to get paid, for Felicia to get paid, for Amanda Nunes to move on to where she wants to be, for Kayla Harrison to have a clear-cut path, is if they shut down 145. I mean, I looked at it, uh, Natalie, and I'm going to move us on because I know we're at the end of the show. We are in a spot. I mean, I looked at it, and the girl who uh, fought um, Megan Anderson, Norma Dumont, she's fighting at Bantamweight on a card coming up. <laughs> And it's like, where are the featherweights? There are no featherweights. They they have picked up one girl from Contender Series, um, who's uh one and oh right now. Um, it's by the way, which mind you, she brought it Danielle Wolf, but you have um a champion who's already fought the last, the only other two established contenders. Danielle Wolf is not about to fight Amanda Nunes at one and oh. So what are we doing? And I really, I just want an answer. <laughs> I, I just really do. So that's just where I'm at. And, and and it's so everybody, you know, like everyone can move on and be happy. You know, if this relationship is not working, I want you to go be with someone who wants you so they could love you and you could feel loved and appreciated and supported like you deserve. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, agree. I want Don't true love. I want here. true love for everybody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. All right. Um, but yeah, so a lot of food for thought, but I think this is a sign of things in the future that may happen. That's why I want to bring it up. Uh, Natalie, before we break down our main event, uh, this coming Saturday, Tyson Jones on Triller. Uh, two legends, two great boxers that fans rightfully excited to see at any time in you know their career even now uh years after you know they've been active 
And I'm hearing there's going to be no judges. There's going to be no... It, it is an exhibition to the highest degree to the point that they are instructed there can be no knockouts for everyone's oh. safety. Yes. How can they uh, prevent knockouts? <laughs> They're going to essentially say you are not allowed to fight that hard. Wow. They're charging $50, $49.99. And they're not even going to let Mike Tyson knock out Roy Jones Jr.? <laughs> I, um... <clears throat> I, I hope you guys have fun. <laughs> Is it true there are two round fights? Two round, two minute rounds, excuse me. I heard yes, that's true. Oh, which which Jones said, well, obviously y'all doing that so Tyson gets the most breaks he can. Yeah. Dude, can I tell you that I'm probably still going to watch this? <laughs> oh, we, we all are, man. <laughs> People still watched uh, Chuck Tito 3 even though that became the most still the, the most infamous <laughs> event I've ever attended. That was just I you know while you were away during the year, we had a segment on it with my one of the guest hosts, and to this day, it's still a weird one. Was it Anthony Walker? Was that yes, what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. I remember him. When I met him at the Bellator, wherever I first met you, the first Bellator event, yeah. he was telling me about it. He was like, it was, it was something else. I have, I will never, it's going to be a while before I... You know, something tops that experience, I'll tell you. Uh, you know what? Can I tell you something, though? And this is legit. I, I really don't know how else to say it except to say that there is a appetite for it among a fan base that you are most likely, if you are a, common, a regular fan of MMA, you likely are not talking to. And that is the Jake Paul... Um, uh, aspect of it so I was doing the virtual conference call that they did for everything right yeah. and uh, this one does not make the air but uh, you know it's like any other zoom call it's like oh it's over but people are still listening and talking on it right there's chit chat I kid you not there was like some kid who somehow snuck onto the the call and I swear they are talking about the fights and he is legit talking about Jake Paul's boxing. Yeah, like yeah. he is legit. Well, remember when he fought Deji. For those who don't know, Deji is KSI's younger brother who is a YouTuber who also boxes. And he's talking about it like we talk about uh, Figueredo and Shevchenko. Like, well... Did you see how he boxed him? He is talking about Jake Paul like his boxing skills like he's a legit guy with legit stuff that we should be looking out for. That's so lame. <laughs> and I'm like, son, he's not really a boxer. He's just a guy doing boxing workouts to make money. And let me tell you something. This young boy was impassioned. Like his voice was not deep yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. And but legit, there is a fan base who loves seeing these guys. Like we talked about Logan Paul and KSI last year. You don't think that uh, you know that there's not an appetite for it. There is. You most likely aren't unless you have kids of that age. You most likely 
aren't interacting with them in your everyday life to understand the deep passion they have for these characters. But it's That's a very unreal, real thing. Man. That's unreal. Right? Come on. I, no, I mean, I believe it, but it's like, un, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's hard to believe, right? That's to today's, believe. that's the digital age. That's what our young kid. you know, a lot of young kids, they're invested in the social media personalities. So don't Bro, think that like, they don't watch, bring them in. Go watch it. Like, you love YouTube. There's plenty of real fights on YouTube. <laughs> Check one out. But it's not with their favorite people. Anyway, my point is... I mean, is, those guys are millionaires, so congratulations. <laughs> my point is, I know what we're saying about the rules of Tyson Jones, blah, blah, blah. Don't underestimate that undercard's ability to draw people. That's, that is a legit factor. Anyway, let's, <laughs> uh, let's close it out. We do have a lot to give thanks for. We, um, a few days after Thanksgiving... The big boys are going to come out. It is Blades and the Beast. Curtis Blades taking on Derek Lewis. Heavyweight action. Um, Natalie, can I go first? Because I have a very simple way to break it down. Yes, please. Um, first off, I love the win streak both of these guys are on. Both are legit in the hunt for the title. As much as I would love these two guys with those huge fists to just trade... I think that it's going to be Curtis Blades looking to use his length and just blast double Derek Lewis all day. I I know Derek is so good at getting off the bottom against so many guys. I think that Curtis Blades physically is the one dude he can't just buck off whenever he wants to. It just, um, Blades is too good and too big. He's got, I think, all the size similar to Derek and a more wrestling especially when he's on top and so dangerous so uh five rounds i just don't see a scenario where if curtis blades gets the takedown that he he loses that fight and i do see him getting that takedown i would love to see them throw hands but i think it's going to be just curtis blades straight up what about you yeah i'm 100 percent with you on this one i don't think curtis blades wants to spend too much time on his feet opposite uh, you know, on the receiving end of a Derek, Derek Lewis punch. So he's going to use his, his go-to uh, wrestling, keep take him down, keep him down. And if he can TKO him with, with shots, okay. If he has to just keep taking him down and holding him down till the judges say he wins, Blades will do that too. So he's perfectly happy to do that all day long, much to my chagrin, because I love seeing Derek Lewis fight against someone that wants to stand there and bang. But, you know... <laughs> Why would anyone want to do that when you can win a different way? So, no, uh, uh, completely understand Curtis Blade's um, expected game plan, but it makes me a little less excited for this fight because the ones that go on for five rounds where you're just holding someone down, you know, not my favorite. Nonetheless, uh, yes, I uh, I will tune in nonetheless, but um, what time... What time are we talking here with uh, Tyson? Oh, no, are they not the same? Are they the same night? Yes. Yes, yes, they are, yeah. That's going to be some decision-making for me. <laughs> I might have to uh, watch one on delay, probably the UFC. You know what? Uh, an added factor people are talking about, which, by the way, um, everyone stay safe, stay calm, please don't panic by, but the curfew now that they're looking to say enforced, like restaurants close by 10 p.m., Um. Assuming 
Look, uh, I'll be honest. I don't see Dana White uh, putting the show earlier so fans can watch Tyson Jones. So nah. I do think that the Tyson Jones walk... Will, uh, I'll be honest, though. It's not a pay-per-view. I mean, if Tyson and Jones walk at about 9 p.m., you know what I mean? Like, how long is their fight going to be and all this stuff? But, uh, yeah, that becomes a factor. I don't... Uh, Put it this way, Dana White, Tyson Jones, they may just call it macaroni again and just keep... They might just have their undercard going toward the tail end of the UFC event. I think that's what we'll see. But I, I do mean, think... Because remember, the fight nights tend to start about an hour earlier than a pay-per-view. This is going to sound silly, but do you think that Triller is even considering the UFC card? Because it's not like it's some... It's not like it's Masvidal and Diaz, right? Like, are they even concerned? In my heart, no. In yeah. my heart, I think they're just gonna like, look, this is our time slot. They are. Uh, I bet you they are aware. Tyson and Dana have a good relationship. They are aware. Yeah. And they'll do it earlier, but yeah, I, I don't see a scenario. You know, I think that they're gonna go on when they're gonna go on. They're gonna put a lot of weight in their undercard. They might fill some time talking if they feel like they could get it close, but. Yeah, that they're just going to... Both shows are going to run when they're going to run. Um, Yeah, but that'll be interesting. I, I wish someone had asked us, like, Dana, do you plan to run any earlier? That way there's no conflict with Tyson Jones. But, yeah, UFC doesn't roll that way. <laughs> we've <Nah. laughs> we've seen that. Um, Final note. Uh, so, Curtis Blades for the win. Um, what What round did you say? Well... I'm not sure, but I'm just gonna I'm gonna go with decision. I'm gonna say that he's gonna just just rest on Derek Lewis till the end. I was gonna bring up. Remember, he said it's like, well, I don't. He's saying he wants to be the villain and said, I'll be boring if I want to be boring. And I'm like, yeah, we're getting a wrestling performance next yeah. week. <laughs> For the record, though, I'm gonna go fourth round TKO. Yeah. Nope. Okay. I want third. Third round. I want nah, third. It makes sense because, I mean, Blades hits hard. And when yeah. he's on top of you, he hits really hard. There's nowhere for your head to go. So it is entirely plausible for Derek Lewis to not, I mean, like no one could take, you know, five rounds of that. So my my, my pick is probably wrong. But um, yeah, th three seems more like it, but I'm going to stick with decision. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. Um, that's it for the show. I mean, so we got, uh, man, that was a long one. Uh, next week we have the fill in. We have, uh, Kevin Holland in a really good UFC main event against Jack Hermanson. High stakes in that middleweight division. All good stuff. Um, that's going to be a lot of fun. We'll talk about that next week. We'll recap everything. Uh, Natalie, happy Thanksgiving. I am thankful to have a show and a co-host where we're just committed and we're talking about this thing we love i'm thankful to have mma going and giving us a distraction during these crazy times in life um health family my friends love you thank you uh anyone you want to shout out before we log off the air oh boy uh yeah i mean you know family for sure my my uh my boy Joe, it was a great first year. His birthday's coming up too, so he's gonna hit that one year mark. And um, 
you know, weird year, but we're all, you know, we're, we're, we're pushing through, everyone's pushing through and, and, uh, yeah, grateful to be able to talk to you about MMA, man. It's a true, true joy. And we're just gonna, what, what more can we do? Just keep trucking along and look forward to, uh, a nice, calm, quiet Thanksgiving, as as they've been asking us to have, right? <laughs> and uh, then think about how much fun next year's Thanksgiving is going to be and how, how big we can make that one. I am with you there. Natalie, have a happy Thanksgiving and take care. Much love, you and the fam. Guys, have a great holiday. Have a great dinner. Um, enjoy Cyber Monday sales. And we'll be back <laughs> next week.